today I'm going to read The Argo. Chapter 5. So here I go. The heroes went the next day through the streets of Olocus down to where the ship lay. The way they went, though, were crowded. The heroes were splendid in their appearance, and Jason amongst them shone like a star. The people praised him, and one told the other that it would not be long until they would win back to Rolokas, for his band of heroes was strong enough. They said to take King Eddie's city and force him to give up the famous place of gold. Many of the bright-eyed youths of Rolokas went with the heroes, who had come from the different parts of Greece. As they marched past the temple, a priestess came forth to speak with Jason. Iphas was her name. She had a prophecy to utter about the voyage, but Iphas was very old, and she stammered to speak to Jason. What she said was not heard by him. The heroes went on. The ancient Iphus was left standing there as the old heir left by the young. The heroes went abroad the Argo. They took their seats as, a, as at an assembly. When, then Jason faced them and spoke to them all. Heroes of the quest, said Jason, we have come abroad the great ship that Argus has built. And all that a ship needs is in its place or is ready to our hands. All that we wait for now is the coming of the morning breeze that, that will set us on our way far closest. One thing we have first to do, that is, to choose a leader who will direct us all, one who will settle disputes amongst ourselves, and who will make treaties between us and strangers that we come amongst. We must choose a, such a leader now. Jason spoke, and some looked to him, and some looked to Heracles. But Heracles stood up and stretching out his hand said, Argonauts, let no one amongst you offer the leader, the leadership to me. I will not take it. The hero who has brought us together and made these things ready for our going, it is he and no else who should be our leader in this voyage. So Heracles said, and the Argonauts all stood up and raised a cry for Jason. Then Jason stepped forward, and he took the hand of each Argonaut in his hand, and he swore that he would lead them with all the mind and all the courage that he possessed. And, the, and he prayed the gods it would be given to him to lead them back safely with a golden fleece glittering on the mast of the Argo. They drew lots of benches lots for the benches they would sit at. They took the places that for the length of the voyage they would have on the ship. They made a sacrifice to the gods and they want, waited to 
the, for the breeze of the morning that would help them away from a locust. And while they waited, Essen, the father of Jason, sat at his own heath, bowed in silent, bowed in silent, in his grief. Alchemade, his wife, sat near him, but she was not silent. She lamented to the woman of a locust who were gathered around her. I did not go down to the ship, she said. For my grief, I would not be a bird of ill omen for a voyage. By this he heareth, my son took farewell of me, the only son I ever bore. From the doorway I watched him go down the street for the city of the city, and I heard the people shout as he went amongst them, they glorifying in my son's splendid appearance. Ah, that I might live to see his return and to hear her shout that will go up when the people took look on Jason again. But I know that my life will not be spared so long. I will not look on my son when he comes back from the dangers he will run in the quest of the Golden Fleece. The woman of the locust asked her to tell them of the Golden Fleece, and Alchemy told them of it and of it, the sorrows that were upon the face of Aeolus. Crethus, the father of Essen, and Peleus was of a race of Aeolus. Aeolus, and the race of Aeolus too was Athamas, the king who ruled in Thebes at the same time that Crethus ruled in Aeolus. And the first children of Athamas were Phrixus and Hill and Heli. Ah, oh, Alchemy lamented, what griefs you have brought on the race of Aeolus, and what griefs you yourself suffered. The evil that Athamas, your father, did, you lives to be a curse on the line of Aeolus. Athamas was wedded first to Nepho, 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 the mother of Phrixus and Heel, and the youth and maiden. But Athamas married again while the mother of these children was still living, and I know the new queen drove Nephi and her children out of the king's palace. And now was Nephli most unhappy. She had to live she had to live as a servant, and her children were servants to the servants of the palace. They were clad in rags and had little to eat, and they were beaten often by the servants who wished to win favor of the new queen. But Although they wore rags and had a menial and had menial tasks to do, Phrixus and Heel took the children of took to the children of the queen. The the boy was tall, and in his eyes often came a flash of power. And the girl looked as if she would grow into a lovely maiden. 
and then and when Athmas, their father, would meet them by chance, he would sigh, and the queen I know would know by the sight that he still had some love for them in his dark heart. Afterward, she would have to use all the power she possessed to win the king back from thinking upon his children. And now Queen Aino had had children of her own. She knew that the people reverenced the children of Nephli and carried nothing for her children. And because she knew this, she feared that when Athamas died, Phrixus and Heal, the children of Nephli, would be brought to rule in Thebes. Then she and her children would be made to change places with them. This made Queen Ono think on the way by which she would make Phrysus and Heal lose their lives. Healy lose their lives. She thought long upon this, and at last a desperate plan came into her mind. When it is winter, she went amongst the women of the countryside, and she gave them jewels and clothes for in presence. Then she asked them to do to do secretly an unheard of thing. She she asked the woman to roast over their foul fires the grains that they had been left to, for seed. This the woman did. When spring came on, and the and the man sh- sowed in the fields the grain that had been roasted the grain that had been roasted over the fires no shoots grew up as spring went by in summer there was no waving greenness in the fields autumn autumn came and there was no grain for riping then the man not knowing what had happened went to king athamas and told him what there there would be a famine in the land the king sent to the temple of the Termes to ask how the people might be saved from the famine. And the guardians of the temple, having taken gold from Queen Aino, told them that there would be worse and worse famine, and that all the people of Thebes would die of hunger unless the king was willing to make a great sacrifice. Then the king asked what sacrifice he should make, and he was told by the guardians of the temple that he must sacrifice to the goddess his two children, Barsus and Heal. Those who were around the king to save themselves from the famine after famine clamored to have the children sacrificed. Athamas, to save his people, consented to the sacrifice. They went toward the king's palace. They found Heel by the bank of the river washing clothes. They took her and bound her. They found Phrythus half naked digging in the field, and they took him too and bound him. That night, they left brother and sister in the same prison. Heel wept over Phrythus, and Phrythus wept to think that he was not able to do anything to save his sister. The servants of the palace went to Nephil, and they mocked at her, telling her that her children would be sacrificed on the morrow. Nephil nearly wept wild in her grief, and then suddenly 
there came into her mind the thought of a creature that might be a helper to to her and her children. This creature was a ram that had wings and a creature that had uh, uh, this creature was a ram that had wings and a wonderful fleece of gold. The god of the sea, Poseidon, was sent this wonderful ram to Athamas and Nehu as a marriage gift, and the ram had since been kept in a special fold. To that fold Nehu went. She spent the night beside the ram, praying for its help. The morning came, and the children were taken from their prison and dressed in white. Their wreaths were put upon their heads to mark them as things for sacrifice. They were led in a procession to the temple of Artemis. Behind that procession, King Athamas walked, his head bowed in shame. But Queen Gyno's head was not bowed. Rather, she carried it high, for her thoughts was all upon her triumph. Soon, Phrygus and Pele would be dead, and then, whatever happened, her own children would reign after Athamas in Thebes. Phrygus and Heo, thinking, Heli, thinking that they were thinking they were taking their last look at the sun, went on. And even then, Nihu, holding the horns of a golden ram, was making her last prayer. The sun rose. And as it did, the ram spread out its great wings and flew in the air, through the air. It flew to the temple of Eternus. Down beside the altar came the golden ram, and it stood with its horns threatening those who came. All stopped in surprise. Still the ram stood with threatening head and great golden wings spread about. Then Phrythus ran from those who were holding him and laid his hands upon the ram. He called to Heli, and she too came to the golden creature. Phrythus mounted on the ram, and he pulled Heli beside him. Then the golden ram flew upward. Up, up they went, and with the children upon its back, it became like a star in the daylit sky. Then Queen Ino, seeing the children saved by the golden ram, shrieked and flew away from that place. Athamas ran after her. As she ran and as she followed hatred for to the cliffs that rose over the sea, fearing Athamas who came behind her, she plunged down. But as she, fe- she fell, she was changed by Poseidon, the god of the sea. She became a seagull. Athamas who followed her was changed also. He became a sea eagle that, with a beak and talons ever ready to strike, flies above the sea. And the golden ram, with wings outspread, flew on and on. Over the sea it flew, while the wind whistled around the children. On and on they went, and the children saw only the blue sea beneath them. Then poor Healy, looking downward, grew dizzy. She fell off the golden ram before her brother could take hold of her.
Down she fell, and still the ram flew on and on. She was drowned in that sea. The people afterward named it in memory of her, it, calling it Hellespont, Hellesnee. On and on the ram flew. Over the wild and barren country it flew and toward a river. Upon that river a white city was built. Down the ram flew, and alighting on the ground stood before the gate of that city. It was the city of Ea in the land of Colossus. The king was in the street of the city, and he joined with the crowd that gathered around the strange golden creature that had a youth upon its back. The ram folded its wings, and then the youth stood beside it. He spoke to the people, and then the king, Eddies was his name, spoke to him, asking him for what place he had come, and what was the strange creature upon whose back he had flown. To the king and to the people, Phrythus told his story, weeping to tell the, of Heli and her fall. When the king Edes brought him into the city, and he gave him a palace in the pa he gave him a place in the palace, and for the golden ram he had a special fold made. Soon after the ram died, and then King Edes took its golden fleece and hung it upon an oak tree that was in a place dedicated to Ares, the god of war. Phrythus wed one of the daughters of the king, and the men say that afterward he went back to Thebes, his own land. And as for the golden fleece, it became the greatest of King Edis' treasures. Well indeed does he guard it, and with, and not with armed men only, but it, with magic powers. Very strong and cunning is King Edis, and a terrible task awaits those who would take away from him that fleece of gold. So Alchemate spoke, sorrowfully telling to the woman the story of the golden fleece, and that her son Jason was to was going in the quest of. So she spoke, and the night waned, and the morning, and the morning of the sailing of the Argo came on. And when the Argonauts beheld the dawn upon the high peaks of Pelion, they arose and poured out wine in offering to Zeus, the highest of gods. Then the Argo herself gave forth a strange cry, for the beam uh, from Dondona ha that had been formed into her prow had endured her with life. She uttered a strange cry, and as she did, the heroes took their places at the benches, one after the other, as had been arranged by the lot, and Typhus, the hel helmsman, went to the steering place. To the sound of Orpheus's lyre, they smote with the oars at the rushing seawater, and the surge broke over the oar blades. The sails were set out, and the breeze came into them, pipping shrilly, and the fishes came darting through the green sea, great and small, and followed them, gamboling along the watery paths. And 
Chiron, the king's senator, came down from the king's senator. The king's senator came down from the mountain Pelion, and standing with his feet in the foam, cried out, "God speed, speed, O Argonauts! God, good, good speed, O Argonauts! Good speed!" And a sorrowless return. So that was the Argo. Bye, guys. See you later. See you later. See you later. See ya. See ya later. Bye, guys.